All right, so I'm pretty excited about today's sermon. Uh, Today is actually, we're going to do a two-part sermon. Part one will be today, but there's so much that I want to say for this one that part two will be in January. Um, So I'm going to give you a little bit of homework, and you better have it done by January. I don't know. It's it's between you and God. (laughs) I don't know. All right, so today, well, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you this time we can be here to gather together to fellowship as your church, as a family. Uh, We pray that you would help us to learn from your word and to be... um, breathed in and filled by your spirit. We pray that you would fill us with more hunger for you and you would fill our hunger. And we pray that you would bless this time and we thank you for your grace and amen. Amen. All right, so today's sermon is called Being Intentional About Spiritual Growth and Sanctification. Sanctification wouldn't fit on the screen, but you know. So first we're gonna talk about why it's important to be intentional about pursuing growth. And then uh, we're going to talk about how we as believers are to think about spiritual growth. And lastly, and this will be the longest part, um, how to pursue growth intentionally, effectively. So the first part we're going to get into, why to pursue, oops, why to be intentional about um, pursuing growth. So the first and most obvious reason why we need to be intentional, maybe it's not as obvious as I would think it is. We're commanded to be intentional about pursuing our growth. And that might not seem obvious, but it's very important that we are intentional. Um, So we're going to take a look at a few scriptures uh, that show that. So 2 Peter Uh, Chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So that one's very specific. It just starts out, but grow. Like a very clear command. Did you have something to say? Yeah. That should be better. All right, so that's very specific, but grow. Um, Second Peter's got a good bit to say about that. Next, we're going to take a look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that one's pretty specific too. It says make every effort. That sounds like we need to be intentional. Every effort, not some effort, not passive effort, not thinking about it occasionally on Sunday and then forgetting about it. And then the last verse I want to look at for this is 1 Corinthians 14, um, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. 
So that's a command to have growed, which is why we need to be um, intentional about pursuing growth. If we're not intentional about pursuing our spiritual growth and sanctification, then we're ignoring or disobeying these scriptures. Second reason. Second reason. If you don't pursue growth, you won't grow. Not only that, but um, by and large, how much you grow depends on how intentional you are about growing. So the first thing I want to talk about for this point is sanctification involves God and you. Sanctification doesn't involve just you. Without you, sanctification won't even get started, let alone go anywhere. And without... um, Did I say without you? I meant without God. Without God, it won't go anywhere. And without you, God's not going to choose to do anything because he chooses to sanctify you through causing you to make choices. But you're not a puppet. If you're not intentional about your spiritual growth, God's not going to just force you to grow or magically sanctify you instantly. But in most areas of life, the principle, it's a general principle. This is getting a bit of feedback. Can you turn it down just a little? In most areas of life, it's true that he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, and he who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. Our spiritual growth isn't something we can afford to be lazy or passive about. So that leads to the next point. Your spiritual growth is extremely important. So I want to preface this by saying when I say spiritual growth, I don't just mean like metaphysical growth or like growth only in your relationship with God. Spiritual growth touches everything that God's word touches. So how you feel about God, how you treat God, how your relationship with him, your worship, your work, your finances, your time management, your relationships with others, But that being said, your spiritual growth in that sense is the most important thing in your life. It determines how much you can do for the kingdom on earth. And only what's done for the kingdom will last. All right. I'll just let you guys take care of the slides. So, right thinking about Christian growth. So, point number one, we will always have more room to grow. Let's take a quick look at Philippians 3, 7 through 16. And uh, this is Paul's letter to the Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may retain from the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think in this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So, you might be tempted to think that eventually you'll get to being perfectly sanctified, if you think that you'll, you'll just be discouraged continually. Like Paul had room to grow up until the day he died. So we, we all have room to grow because sanctification is a process. I think it's in Romans or Hebrews. Um, God refers to the church as those who are being sanctified. We're all continually being sanctified. Kind of, but it will come to completion when we die or when the Lord returns. But on earth, it is a continual process. All right, point number two. We must realize that there are more and less effective ways to pursue growth and sanctification. I want to take a look at Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the iron is blunt and the and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. In almost everything, there's more or less effective ways to do it. There's hardly anything where there isn't a more or less effective way to go about it. And if spiritual growth is really important to us, then we should be seeking out more effective ways to grow. We should be strategic about it. We should be thinking, what could I be doing better or differently to cause me to grow more or to grow quicker? All right, point number three, very important. Sanctification is a grace-based journey. So I have a few sub-points for this one. Um, we need to acknowledge that we're going to make mistakes, hit bumps, and sometimes grow slower than we should. And if we don't believe this, we're just going to become more discouraged over time. And discouragement is worth avoiding because discouragement, more often than not, is a temptation to either slow down or give up in some capacity. You need to learn how to fight against discouragement. You can't just give in to your discouragement. We're all going to get discouraged, but you can't just be giving in to your discouragement or you'll never get anywhere because you'll always just be giving up. It says in Proverbs, the righteous falls seven times, it rises again. Not only that, but we need to be learning from our mistakes. There's a lot we can learn from them. And it, it makes a big difference whether or not we do learn from them. This is just an interesting quote I found recently. 
So recently I've been reading this book where I've been learning about the guy who made the Honda company, Soshiro Honda, and, um, and he failed a lot, like a lot, a lot. And, um, and one of his quotes that I found on the internet or that I read in a book says, my biggest, fr- my biggest thrill is when I plan something and it fails. My mind is filled with ideas on how I can improve it. If we were all looking to learn from when we failed, we'd, we'd learn a lot more. So let's see, next point. We need to think grace-based about the entire process of sanctification. So we're not just saved by grace, we're also sanctified and sustained by grace. We don't just come to God initially in grace. God continually forgives us of our sins, which we commit, because it's a process. We're growing in sanctification. We're always still going to make mistakes and sin sometimes. It's more than mistakes. We're always still going to purposefully sin against God sometimes. But it's very important that we always think through grace. Um, So the, the gospel is grace. What what sets apart the believer from the non-believer is whether or not they accept salvation by grace. But if, if we say salvation is by grace, but sanctification is not, we're splitting the gospel in half and we're thinking in unchristian and sinful ways about sanctification. To say it's not by grace is to take the gospel out of it. And if it is by grace, then we should have grace towards ourselves. Another thing that I want to mention with this that I tell people who feel really discouraged about their sins, sometimes we think we should just care as much as we can about our sin and be like as upset as we can about it. Like, you know, being sorrowful for our sin is good. We should be as sorrowful as we can be. But in the Christian life, your goal is to think correctly because God thinks correctly about everything. So if you are more sorry about your sin than God is, then you're wrong because you disagree with God. God only cares so much about your sin because he knows he's victorious over it. He hates when we sin and he's sorrowful about it, but he's not down and discouraged like, oh man, I can't believe Josiah purposefully sinned again. What are we going to (laughs) do? That's not what God thinks about it. If we think it's the worst thing in the world, we disagree with God, point blank. All right, next header. How to pursue growth well. So I actually have um, seven key points for this, but today I think we're only going to get into two of them. I only plan to get into two of them, because the first two are very important. So the first one is if you want to pursue growth effectively, you need to have a vision. You need to have a vision for your growth. So why is having a vision important? Having a vision helps you in anything you set out to achieve. Like if you, if you want to do something, but you don't know what to, you're trying to do, you definitely won't know how to do it. The more detailed you have a vision of where God wants you to go and how he wants you to grow, the more effectively you'll be able, the more he'll be equipped to go there. 
we need to, as clearly and detailed as we can, have a vision for what God wants to do in our lives. And the more detailed and the more clear it is, the better. There's various areas we need to have vision in for our growth. (laughs) And if we don't know, if we don't have a vision for it, if we just know we need to grow, but that's a vague or nebulous concept and we don't know practically what we need to grow in, then, you know, where are we even going to start? The clearer and more detailed your vision is, the more it enables you. So there's four um, key areas I want to hit on that you need to have a vision for. Number one, you need to have a vision for how much, for how God wants you to grow in knowing the scriptures and in knowledge. So, God wants us uh, to know his word, and certain people for certain callings may have to know it more or less than others. But, um, but we need to have a vision. We need to think about how much God would have us to have. Because we all have a calling and a role, and, um, and we all have levels of scriptural knowledge we'll need to attain to in order to fulfill those roles. Everyone in the church has a role, without exception. So practically, a few things um, your vision for your knowledge of the scripture needs to have. You need to know the Bible as a whole and not just in parts. It says in Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. If you don't have the sum of it, you don't have the whole thing. And incomplete knowledge can lead to misinterpreted or false knowledge, quote unquote. You need to know the word well enough that it changes the way you see everything. You need to have read it like at least five times at a minimum, but we should always be reading God's word. Not literally always. We wouldn't get anything else done. We should all, in every season of life, we should be reading God's word. Amen. See, um, you need to know the word. Each Christian is called to know God's word well enough to be able to defend their faith. We can see that in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord and as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is to the church. This is in general. This applies to every Christian. Every Christian should know God's word well enough to defend their faith. So that needs to be part of your vision for where your knowledge of the word needs to go. If that's not part of your vision, your vision is too small. Not only that, but every Christian should have a goal to know the word well enough to teach others. Let's take a quick look at Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So not every Christian is called to be a teacher. Um, It's the minority. But every Christian is called to know the word well enough to teach, and every Christian is called to teach in some capacity or another. Not all Christians are called to have an official office of teaching, but all Christians are called 
teach in some capacity or another. You'll either have people you're discipling, which involves teaching, or kids you're parenting, or something. All Christians are called to be able to teach God's word, without exception. The next thing you need um, a vision for is your character. We need to see what the Bible's standard of character is. We all have room to grow in our character, but we, we get our knowledge for how to grow in our character from the Bible. We need to know the Bible's standards clearly, and that comes from being familiar with God's Word. Not only that, but we need to be aware of specific areas that our characters, individuals, needs to grow. I know the areas I need to grow in. I'm lazier than I should be sometimes. Um, I should be more patient sometimes. We all have specific areas, but we need to know what those specific areas are so that we can effectively pursue them. That's why scripture is so important, because it it helps us to get to know God's standard. The next thing, the third thing we need to have a vision for is growth in ministry capacity. Let's take a quick look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I love this verse so much. I'll probably mention this so many times when I preach. <laughs> We're going to keep coming back to this, not in this message, just in several other ones. God gives the church teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is the job of the saints. It's not just of the teachers, the leaders, and the apostles. They're given to equip the church as a whole. But anyways, all believers have three ministries, um, which will play out uniquely for each person. But we all have primarily a ministry to God. We worship him. Um, our worshiping him glorifies him. And that is... Our most important ministry is to God. We also have a ministry to each other in the church to serve each other, to protect each other in any way we can, and to, um, to build up each other. And we also have a ministry to the world, to the lost. All, three, all Christians have those three ministries. How that plays out for each Christian, that's different for each one. But we all have those three ministries. Not just that, but all Christians have to grow in how they're equipped in order to fulfill the calling that God has for them. So we all have things God wants us to do, but nobody starts out equipped to do them. We all have to grow in our being equipped. Joseph had to grow a lot in being equipped for one of the roles God had for him. He went through a lot to be prepared. David went through a lot to be prepared. We're talking years of preparation. Daniel. Daniel had like a lot of time in his teenage years where he was being prepared for the roles that God had for him in his future. Paul. Paul spent months just reading the word after he was converted and studying it through a Christian view, a Christ-centered view, to be prepared. Christ, like, 
Jesus had to. There's good odds we have to. 30 years preparation before he did the whole thing he came to earth to do. So everyone in the church has a place. Everyone has gifts that God gives them and charges them to use in the church. Like it says in um, 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. But uh, we, we have to develop those gifts. God gives us gifts, but we also have to develop them. We grow in them. And our growing in them causes us to grow in our potential to do good with them. So we need to have a vision, a detailed vision of how we as individuals um, are to minister to God, to his church, and to the world. It'll be different for each person, but that's why you need to pursue a vision from God for it. We'll get into more details on that in just a bit. The fourth one, and to some degree, almost the most important one, at least to me, we need to have a vision for the church as a whole. So having a vision for the church is necessary for every Christian, because we're all on a team. And if you're on a team and you don't know what your team is supposed to be doing, like, what are you going to do? If you're playing basketball and you don't know which hoop is yours, it's not going to go well. Are we playing offensive or are we defensive? Are we even trying to shoot hoops? What are we doing? The clearer your vision of what the church is called to do, the better. The more you'll know um, how to interact with the church. You need to know where the church is supposed to be going. So I want to break that down into two points. You need to know, you need to develop a vision for the church as a whole throughout time, or from beginning to end, um, from its inception to the end of time. And, but you also should, as well as you can, try to have a vision for what God wants to do in the church as a whole in your day and age. Because God is always doing specific things in time, and he's always setting the stage for greater things to happen the main thing that he's doing, the redemption of a people for himself. And that is on a progressive track that is going to culminate. But God is always doing specific things on the earth and specifically in the church. And the more we have a vision for what he intends to do in our day and age, which is different in each day and age, the more equipped we are to take part in it. There's a reason I put have a vision as the first of seven key important things for being intentional about pursuing growth. I I just can't, I got a hit on it, like having a vision is super important. So how to have a clearer vision? Because I keep saying the clearer and more detailed your vision is, the better. For one thing, you need to know God's word deeply. Knowing God's word always equips you to think more like God, to see things through God's view. That will help you to have clearer vision of what God wants. Number two, you should pray into it. You should ask God. James 1.5. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
God wants to give you a vision. God wants to show you what he's doing in the earth. God wants to show you the great things he plans to do in and through his church in your day and age. And he wants to equip you to be a part of it. We need to seek that. And thirdly, we need to spend time thinking about it. A vision is something you understand in your mind and your heart, so you need to think about it. You need to spend time asking questions about it. You need to piece it together. You need to meditate on it. Let's see. All right. Point number two, tip number two, have a good understanding of the sanctification process. So I, to some degree, teach people how to troubleshoot software, and the best thing you can do to be good at troubleshooting processes that aren't quite going how you want them to, and our sanctification doesn't always go how it should or how we want it to, the best thing you can do to know how to troubleshoot a process that isn't working is to understand how that process works. Like that's how mechanics fix cars with problems they don't know about, because they know how the car works. And when you know how it works, you can think, oh, well, what would be causing this? And then it'll be more obvious. It'll more obvious pretty quickly if you have an understanding of how the process works. So it's, it's very beneficial to us to have an understanding, a tangible understanding of how the sanctification process works. It'll equip us to uh, be more intentional about it. So some quick principles on the process of sanctification. Number one, sanctification is a, it starts in the heart. It's all about um, your heart. In the Christian worldview, your behavior, your thoughts, the things you say, it, it comes from your heart. It comes from who you are as a person. Let's take a look at some scriptures that speak about that. Let's see. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, or diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. James 4, verse 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that the passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted to sin when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So who you are as a person comes from your heart, and our hearts are corrupt, and they're deceitful, and we want to sin, and that's why we do. At the end of the day, everybody only does what they want to do. Like... We might have conflicting desires, and sometimes we do what we don't want to do. But if we, if we didn't want to do it at all, we wouldn't have done it. If we, want, if we sin, we wanted to sin in some capacity, even though we also had desires to obey, 
we let our desire to sin outweigh our desire to obey. It's kind of, it gets kind of complicated. There's conflicting desires, but everybody only ever does what they want to do. So not only that, we need God to show us what's going on in our hearts so that way we can see how we can grow. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So we need God to change our hearts. We can't change them. We have to take part in his process of changing them, but we can't change them. But just on a practical level, you know, one of the ways to start in this process, you need God to show you what's going on in your heart. God wants to show you what's going on in your heart. He'll show you by his word and he'll show you by his spirit. And the way we can take part in that is by reading his word and knowing it and by praying and asking him to show us what's going on in our hearts and how we can grow. Another friend I want to mention, so your heart and your mind are very closely connected and any changes in one affects the other. That's why the Greek word to repent uh, literally means to change your mind. We translate it repent, but when John said, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God wants to renew our thinking, and this is like a big thing we have to understand about how the sanctification process works. Changes in our, the way we think will, of necessity, lead to changes in everything else. Even your emotions, they're all based on what you think. Um, I use this example a lot when explaining this concept, but if you're scared, like, if a bear walks into a room, in this room, we, we'd all probably get scared. <laughs> but if... If someone dressed as a bear very convincingly walks into this room, we'd still all be scared. But the reason we'd be scared is because we think in our minds that there's a threat. If we didn't think that, if a bear came in and you thought it was a person dressed as a bear, but it wasn't, you wouldn't be scared. Because you wouldn't think that there's a threat. All your emotions, all your desires, all your beliefs are all connected to your thinking. But our minds are corrupt too, and we need, God, we need God's word applied by his spirit to renew our minds. And the scriptures talk about that. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be confirmed to this, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's also look at Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. 
So God is in the process of changing our hearts. If we're living sinfully and we all do have sinful habits and character issues we need to overcome, they come from our hearts. We need God to change our hearts. One of the primary ways God changes our hearts is by changing our minds because they're very connected. That's an easy way for you to get more in on the process. The scriptures renew your mind. You need to see life through the lens of the scriptures. To give a practical example for this, I used to be really, really lazy. Like I was homeschooled and I never did anything. I skateboarded and played video games all day because I could get away with it. It was terrible. <laughs> but, um, but eventually I, I actually started reading the Bible and that made a huge difference. And, um, and I would read through the book of Proverbs and I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And I would read the verses on being diligent. And I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, diligence makes rich. That, that makes sense. That's kind of cool. And, um, and I would think about it each time I read it. And the more I read it and the more I thought about it, thinking about it over time, getting the scriptures in your head and meditating on them, processing them through your mind. That's what meditating on them is. That will have a lasting effect. Eventually, I started to think that way. Oh, diligence is a good thing. Diligence is a good thing. If I want to succeed, I need to be diligent. And, um, and it, it really changed me. I went from being one of the laziest persons I knew to being like, like, why would you watch TV in the evenings? I mean, I, I do somewhat, but I work most of the evening and then I rest for a little bit. Like, why would you not just work more? It's because the scripture changed me but it started in my mind. It started with processing the scriptures and meditating on them. So hopefully that helps to have a, a bit more detailed understanding of the sanctification process. And um, hopefully we can apply that understanding. We should ask questions to ourselves. What's going on in my heart? Why do I want... Um, what I want. Is what I want actually bad or do I want it to a bad amount? Or do I just need to change th um, the way I think about something? If we're troubleshooting a way in which our heart is not conforming to God's word, um, it's good to think about these questions. What scriptures could I use to get my heart back in line? You can ask God to show you these things. But we need to be intentional about the renewal of our minds. What, one of the things I do, if I have an area I really have trouble growing in or have a lot of trouble wanting to grow in, is I'll make a list of scriptures that, uh, that touch on that and then I'll just look at my list each day or hopefully each day. I need to be more diligent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it really does help. Like processing God's word leads to the renewal of your mind by the Holy Spirit. And that'll change your life. Um, yeah. So we have like seven points to cover on this. I'm really excited about this topic. I've been excited about this topic ever since I got the idea to do a message on this. And um, we have seven things to cover. We could only get through two of them today. So be excited about January, because I'm going to be back in January, and we're going to talk about this again. So let's get to the conclusion, though. Now is an excellent time to be more intentional about your spiritual growth. It is December. New year is coming. Um, I didn't think 2020 was that bad. I enjoyed it. There were some tough things, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> I had a good 2020. But, um, but now it's December, so we're, we're all thinking about 2021. We're almost there. We can do it. Um, but we should be thinking, just because it's convenient to do so, it's, you know, the goals for the new year phenomenon. We should be thinking about goals we can set that are connected to the vision we should have. We should be seeking a vision from God about how we should be growing in 2021. Like out of all the points I mentioned in this, this part of this message, vision is the most important point to me. Like, just hope everyone gets that. If you don't get it, please go back on the podcast and re-listen to it. If you don't feel the importance of having a vision, then please go back and re-listen to it. But uh, it is almost 2021, so be seeking a vision from God and try to press that vision out into some practical goals with steps of how you want to get to where you want to get to. Um, think about how you can get there practically. Uh, we can go to the next point. And at a minimum, you should have goals for knowledge of scriptures, for um, prayer, for spending time in prayer, and maybe fasting, um, should have goals for ministry capacity, for growing in your ministry capacity, and you should have goals for your finances. At a minimum, everyone should have goals in these four categories. But if anyone's discouraged, like, I'm not growing much, I don't, I don't think I will grow much, like, we have a lot of resources as a church. There are people who want to help you. There's the Holy Spirit, um, like, God wants to make 2021 a great year for your growth. And it can be, and I just want to communicate that. 2021 could be a great year of growth for GCF, for every individual. So pray about that. Pray about that today. Pray about that this week. Pray about that this month. Because in January, I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask people about it. The last one I want to mention, just in closing, just a thought, uh, we can go to the next point. Matthew eleven, twelve. Um, Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. It's not saying people who persecute the church are taking the church. No one takes God's church from it. We have to be intentional, violent as it were about growing and advancing God's kingdom. That's been 45 minutes. That's our sermon.